Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s. And Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey. We created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi guys, before we get to today's episode, we want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years and the Sakara life organic meal delivery program is based on a whole food plant rich diet that includes fresh nutrient dense and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich, low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakar cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XO courageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. Now onto the episode. Hi everyone. Welcome back to courageous wellness. And this week we are going to catch up a little bit about what we've been doing, what we're up to, what's interesting and fun before we um, have a great uh, conversation to jump into with our guest. So what's going on with you, Miss Erica? Well, it is September. This episode is our first episode of September and it is my favorite month. I love and her birthday month. It is. It's my birthday month. Um, we're still in the thick of Virgo season, but Libra season is right around the corner. Everyone get excited. Um, no, but I just love it. I hold out on putting out all my pumpkin things until after Labor Day weekend, but the purchasing of like pumpkin spice, you know, healthier pumpkin spice creamers have started being purchased. (laughs) Pumpkin spice bars are like, I'm getting, I'm getting my pumpkin stuff ready to be put out. I'm, I'm ready for autumn. Yeah. I'm so ready. So, yeah. I mean, okay. Listen guys, this is the reality and I love fall. I'm as basic as they come. I love the autumn having grown up in the Northeast. It's the best. But this is the hard thing about California fall. 
it's not cold. It's not no. even a little bit cool. In fact, it gets hotter in September than it did during the summer. Yeah. So September it's like you have this heat wave and then we're just all sort of faking that autumn is here. Well, that's why you have to fake it. That's why you have to, I call, <laughs> I call my house the pumpkin patch because you have to make it feel like fall emotionally. So that's what we have to <laughs> we're, do. In we're California. in emotional fall, if not literal fall. Yet. It's emotion, but I love, I love September. It feels like you know, I think cause it's the school year has started. I know we've been out of school for so long. Um, but it just feels like a new year, like yeah. a fresh beginning a fresh again. So I'm very excited. And Allie and I, something we want to share, we're going to talk a little bit about just updates and movement in today's intro. Cause that's what we've been really enjoying, but, um, we're so excited because as you may have noticed on our Instagram, we have been doing 10,000 steps a day. It started as a challenge together. Allie and I just wanted to encourage each other to maybe intentionally move our bodies more as like a form of self-care and get outside. And so we started a 10,000 day step to challenge together in August. And it was so successful. I loved it. I think I only didn't complete the challenge twice. I think the whole month, maybe three times. Um, so I really committed to it and I just feel so good keeping this promise to myself. And as we did start sharing it with people in our community and on Instagram, people wanted to join in. So we thought today would be a great day to like officially launch a 10,000 step. Yeah. Challenge for our community. Yeah. So anybody who wants to join, We're going to be doing 10,000 steps a day for the entire month. And we, like Erica said, we got kind of a head start in August, um, sort of not formally doing it as a challenge, but just encouraging each other. And yeah, my watch told me today or maybe yesterday, I don't remember, but that it's been like 20 days straight of movement. Um, It's like my longest move streak. So it's definitely, um, it's definitely felt great. And so if anybody wants to join us, please join us for the month of September. We'll post about it online, but, um, it's really been fun that all these people in our community have joined in, asked us about it. Um, so we're going to do it more formally this month too. And there's no pressure for anyone. Like we said, like we didn't start August 1st either. We started a little bit in the middle of August. Yeah. Into Mm -hmm. August. But, um, like, like I just mentioned, I think there were two or three days that I didn't hit those 10,000 steps. Maybe I was sick one day or, um, I got to like 8,500 and just didn't hit that 10,000, but, um, it's not about perfection. It's just, again, like for me. And I think for Ali, it was this promise we made to ourselves to move our body in a loving, beautiful way. And yeah, it's been really nice to keep that promise to yeah. myself and I'm excited to keep it up in September. And it's great for our listeners who live in colder climates. Um, I know before the snow season starts for you lucky people and before you really get seasonal changes. Um, yeah, it's nice to just get outside and enjoy the weather before, before real fall and winter come. (laughs) And you know, this, this physical challenge, um, is kind of ties into some of the theme of our episode today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So should we get into into the intro? Mm -hmm. Okay. So today on the podcast, we sit down with David Richmond. David is the author of the new book, Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 
5,000 miles and a journey through the emotional chaos of cancer. In the book, David explores 15 people's emotional journeys, including caregivers, patients, loved ones, and doctors, and the various traumas in their lives that affected their experience. These stories are interwoven amongst the narrative of David's solo 5,000 mile bike ride to meet the book participants whom he had been interviewing for a few years. David Richmond's book is inspirational, insightful, and quite evocative. On this episode, David shares with us portions of the stories in the Cycle of Lives project. He also shares his passion for inspiring deeper human connection and his own personal journey to this work. We do want to offer a slight trigger warning to anyone who may be sensitive while listening to this episode, since we do discuss various traumas. David's work further shows that we can all learn and grow from having the courage to share vulnerable stories. So we hope you enjoy the episode. We love this conversation with David and enjoy. This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a line of non-toxic, effective, and safe bath, body, and skincare products made in small batches in Austin, Texas. They source ingredients as hyper-clean as possible, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Milk & Honey is a female-founded and funded brand that offers a wide variety of non-toxic bath, body, and skincare products that will make you feel nourished inside and out. Their online boutique also offers products from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Some of our favorite products include Milk and Honey's Baking Soda Free Aluminum Free Deodorant and Lavender Tea Tree, which I have been exclusively using for years. I also love Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. If you want to try Milk and Honey, you can receive 15% off your order by visiting milkandhoney.com and using the code CWPODCAST, one word, at checkout. You can also find the direct link in our show notes. This episode is brought to you by our health coaching subscription service on Patreon. The Courageous Wellness Collective has expanded on Patreon to bring our listeners and clients an all-access, accessible platform to educate, inform, and create nutrition and lifestyle habits to meet your personal goals. For $8.99 a month, patrons will receive weekly video content on topics ranging from blood sugar stabilization, gut health, hormone balance, energy, sleep, skin health, how to shop the grocery store, pantry staples, and much more. Included, you'll also receive access to monthly virtual webinars, recipes, and special guest content too. With this subscription, you are guaranteed at least four pieces of fresh health coaching content each month. To learn more and become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash courageous wellness, or check out our show notes. We look forward to welcoming you to our coaching community. Welcome, David. We are very excited to have you here and to have this conversation with you today. So to get things started, can you talk to us a little bit about your personal journey to the work that you currently do? Your background was this, how did you get to being this author and storyteller that you are today? 
Wow, thank you. Um, I, I, you know, I started uh, writing, I've been writing forever, but I came out with my first book um, kind of um, at, after I made a big transition in my personal life. I, um, I was overweight, I was a smoker, I wasn't athletic, I was like kind of in a horribly uh, uh, abusive relationship. Um, it was really, really bad. And I had very young kids, I had twins at the time. Um, they were four years old and I just made this change. Like once I got us to a safe place and, um, uh, you know, decided that I wanted to focus on getting healthy and whatever, I just made this big change to start doing like endurance athletics and, um, uh, eating healthy. And obviously I, I finally heard that I should stop smoking. I had heard it a thousand times, but I finally heard it. Um, and then, um, I kind of found these parallels between running a big business and like running a hundred miles or something. There's a lot of lessons that are parallels. So I wrote my first book about that. Um, and you know, kind of like the similarities between transforming yourself on a personal level and in, in a business level. So that was a really good book. It was, it was pretty successful and I really enjoyed it. Um, at the time, my sister, uh, called me up and told me that she had um, terminal brain cancer. And that was like kind of another focal point of transformation for me because, you know, you don't realize that people are possibly going to die until you find out, right? Because we don't ever really think about that day to day. And <clears throat> it kind of forced me and her to kind of deepen our relationship. And then that started on this new, this, this new cycle of lives book. Thank you for sharing that. I know mm -hmm. um, oftentimes our own personal stories really inform the way we make choices and changes in our lives. And that's mm -hmm. even how Erica and I developed this podcast platform because mm -hmm. of our own um, stories and backgrounds in, in the health and sort of wellness space. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that really kind of struck me about cycle of lives and um, the fact that not only was it, yes, your personal like bike, talk about endurance, your bike trip, that was a long bike ride, right? 5,000 miles. Um, but that you did it to really explore and visit the, the folks who you, um, you highlighted and, and their stories mm -hmm. specifically around cancer. Yes. And so I guess just to start with this simple question, why the bike ride mm -hmm. and, and how, um, yeah. Why the bike okay. ride? All right. Well, it's a, it's a good question. That's like the second part of the answer. I'll give you the first part of the answer. So the first part of the answer is that when I was uh, watching my sister go through what she was going through, she had a husband, young kids, right? A great job, vibrant, the group of friends and the whole deal. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to kind of talk about the emotional side of what she was going through. Um, we didn't uh, uh, make a conscious effort to recognize that we were doing that, but we were able to do that, right? We talked a lot and we got pretty deep and we dealt with a lot of uh, deep issues. And one of the last things that we were going to do together was she was going to be at a 24 hour relay for life 
which is, you know, you know what those are. <laughs> Most of your audience will know. And I was going to run the whole Relay for Life. So she was going to be out there and support the whole team that was out there for her. I was going to go run the whole thing. Um, sadly, she died a couple of days before that event. So she didn't get to go to it. But when I was there and my kids at that time were now about nine, um, they were with me too. Um, we were out there for the whole 24 hours and noticed that people just didn't talk about the emotional side of cancer. Um, and also the emotional side of trauma in general, just didn't talk about it. Like they could tell you how to get better care or how to eat better or how to navigate the healthcare system or how to get better insurance or whatever. Right. But they just didn't talk about like how it affected them and the emotional side of it, which, you know, I, I just came to learn is, is a very, very common thing. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, um, that was the seed that planted that I would like to explore this. So I went and found a bunch of very, very, very like deep, insightful, uh, um, uh, people that had really evocative, inspiring stories, not just about cancer, but about like overcoming abuse, overcoming um, drug addiction, uh, abandonment, um, suicide of a parent, and how the emotional side of that trauma affected their cancer journey. Mm -hmm. Okay. So whether they were caregivers or patients or loved ones or survivors or whatever, I just wanted to know in relation to the emotional issues that they had had in their past, how did they then navigate the emotional side of cancer um, with, you know, within and also with their friends and loved ones? So the second part of your question with the original question was, so um, I thought that, you know, I feel like humans are only connected kind of by one thing. Um, we're connected by our emotions. and um, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to, to imagine a scenario where let's say, for example, um, you were accidentally trapped under the water. Okay. Not a person alive that wouldn't be fearful or desperate, right? That emotion, 100% of us would have, right? Mm -hmm. We're all tied together by that. And then I thought, well, if I'm covering all the different aspects, all the different emotions, all the different types of cancer, caregiver, patient, loved one, doctor, young, old, had it once, had it five times. If I'm connecting the trauma and around the emotions, why not jump on my bike and connect all the people that I hadn't met, right? I, I talked to them on the phone, but I never met them. So I just said, well, let's connect them. So that was just another way to kind of connect the stories, make them deeper and um, add another element uh, to, to the whole project. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really cool. And I guess that, that leads me to my next question. Mm -hmm. Did you observe having an emotional experience or I, I guess it could say, I could say, what was the emotional experience for you being mm -hmm. on a bicycle, um, connecting those dots for other people and connecting those dots sort of collectively for the book, yeah. but, but I imagine riding 5,000 miles, having that intense physical experience, mm -hmm. um, also probably brought up a lot of emotions. So what did you observe about your own emotional yeah. journey through that? Well, for sure. I, you know, I hadn't really processed losing my sister and everybody loses people, right? It's nothing special, but I think anybody that goes through it, it, it would, it, it kind of would help to be able to process that the issues around it. And for, for, for me, 
I hadn't done that. And that was a kind of a side effect of the bike ride that I didn't set out to encounter, but I encountered it right away because I really started, look, I don't know what uh, you, your audience uh, members do for like kind of release or to find a point of meditation or yoga, they meditate, do they, do they do Wim Hof breathing, you know, do they, whatever. For me, when I'm biking or running really long distances, it allows me to kind of contemplate things on a higher level. And um, uh, all of a sudden I'm on my first day in like a 10 hour bike ride and I'm starting to think, oh, you know, I really never really thought about June, you know, like what, like, like that, like how it affected me losing her. So on the one hand, um, I, I really have um, examined those emotions inside of myself and tried to make sense of what it all meant for me. The second thing was obviously I had talked to all these uh, people for like two, three years. Okay. And most of them two or three years. And so, but I hadn't sat down to write the stories. So I figured on the bike ride, which was my intention was that I would really kind of in my head work through their stories. And, you know, it was kind of funny how I hit like some emotional highs and lows and it really brought me into their stories mm -hmm. because you know, I was feeling good. I'm just like, oh, you know, imagine when so-and-so was feeling good, you know, and what happened or if I was feeling really desperate, I'd be like, oh, man, that reminds me of so-and-so when they were feeling desperate. So I feel like I kind of got a little bit more in tune, you know, with those, with, with the emotional side. And then third was that every day I ran into people who said, oh, my God, you're writing a book about the emotions of cancer. I have no idea what to say. My, my work coworker's daughter just got cancer. My uncle just died of cancer. I don't know what to say to my mom, blah, 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 blah. You know, those kind of every single day. So that kind of powered me through these insanely long 12, 14, 16 hour days of biking. Wow. Wow. It's so incredible. And it reminds me, you know, um, obviously in a much different way, but the reason Ali and I started this podcast is because we really believe in the power of storytelling and connection. Mm -hmm. And even obviously with cancer and loss and death and Ali has her own experience with cancer herself, but, um, there is as exactly as you're saying, like, we don't talk about the emotional component of, mm -hmm. um, anything <laughs> I feel like, but especially in health and wellness. Yes. And, um, and, and I think it's, it's just, it can make you feel so, um, connected when we do, because, uh, there's so much power and vulnerability. So can we talk about the stories? Can we talk mm -hmm. about what you learned and these, um, individuals that you were able to connect with sure. and, and talk to? Well, sure. And Eric, I totally agree with you about that, like connecting through storytelling. That's kind of what my passion is. And that's because um, if you're able to tell a story that is interesting, that involves listening and uh, both, both ways, right? It involves listening. And when you listen, you really hear people. And when you hear people, you connect with them. And when you're, when you're at a place where you can be authentic and, and heart-centered and focused on the real stuff, not the BS that's out there in the world. Um, that's when you form these deeper connections. So I totally, totally agree with you. Um, so the people that I found um, was uh, through friends. My wife knew a few people. Uh, I, I actually cold called some um, cancer centers to say, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, anybody that kind of is, is an interesting story, right? 
Um, I got referrals from people. Um, and then I sat down and I just said, look, I, I need to talk to you about things that you might not have dealt with yourself or that you might not have talked to other people about. Um, some people, uh, guys, were not up for that task, right? It's a very difficult task. Um, some people were, um, uh, uh, um, but they didn't know how deep we were going to go, right? And then some people, I just caught them at the right time of their lives and they were ready to explore. And I'll give you one example. There's a there's a an oncologist in New York City that I that I met with, and she ended up um, uh, being um, uh, in the book. Very very fascinating woman. Very fascinating story. And when I was talking to her, I said, "Hey, look. So you know, you've been an oncologist dealing with breast cancer in women and men for 40 years, and I'd like to talk to you about things maybe that you haven't like talked to your friends and family about." And she's like, "Oh, I don't I don't talk to the emotional side of." things with my friends and family. I don't want to burden them like that. And I go, okay, well, um, your peers, you know, the things that you, you, you go through with your peers that you talk about, she's like, are you kidding me? I'm a woman doctor. I don't talk about emotions and stuff like that. People wouldn't take me seriously. And I go, wow. Well, I said, well, who have you talked to about this stuff? And she goes, "Mm, nobody. And I go, well, let's see what we find out. And she goes, yeah, let's see. So these were the type of stories where I wanted to really get super deep into people's lives and understand um, kind of what makes them tick. And, and just su- super quick, um, guys, is that with her, um, her story of you know what she learned caring for patients over 40 years was really interesting um, and, and how you might be able to c- become a better patient because of it. But what was really super interesting was that she had done this kind of um, on the heels of having been abandoned by her father. Uh, he left when she was young and never, he's, she'd never heard from him again. Um, and she did it against the backdrop of being discriminated upon, um, being you know very early on um, an oncologist in a, in a world that was all male. And you know, so we had those aspects. And when you're done reading her story, you realize, oh my God, this woman, what she's been through is really ridiculous. I need to have some more compassion for my caregivers and listen to them, right? Ask them how they're doing, right? Because it might be allow me to form a deeper connection. So that was kind of the goal. Yeah. Thank you. I think the fact that you chose to explore this sort of this topic of cancer, but from all different perspectives, because it's not just the patient that goes through emotional experiences and that everybody you know, whether you're a loved one, whether you're a caregiver, whether you are a, you know, a parent or a child or a, um, you know, just a loved one in general, but this, that we all sort of take on different roles. And I think that can be applied to any sort of health crisis situation where perhaps, perhaps there's a fight ahead, perhaps there's a, you know, a terminal diagnosis, whatever the, whatever the outcome might be, but everybody sort of involved in the experience, whether you're the patient or not, mm-hmm. um, has something that they go through. Absolutely, Allie. And the thing is, is that um, there, there were two things that were really common in each person that I spoke to. Okay. Every story is unbelievably diverse. Some are happy, some are sad, some are inspiring, some are you know, deep thought provoking. Um, they're all very different, but the two things that they had in common was one, they hadn't talked about the emotions of cancer or they hadn't processed it on their own. So they, 
they, they, they had to go on a journey. Um, and some of those journeys that we went through were life-changing for them. Some of them were eye-opening and some of them were like, all right, whatever we, you know, we've done that now we can move on. But that was the one thing, right? They hadn't done that, which was, I didn't seek out people that hadn't done it. Literally everybody I spoke to hadn't done it. Right. That was the one thing they had in common. The second thing they had in common, which I just found fascinating was that each person, even the ones that had the most remarkable stories ever were like, yeah, I don't know what's really interesting about me. I, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if I really, you know, if it's interesting enough to talk about, but all right, if you want to, we'll talk. And I'm just like, then I'm floored. I'm like, how is that not the most interesting thing ever? But I, I realized that people are just living their lives. They don't, they don't think that anything is special. They don't think that it's anything major. They're just doing their best to cope with the crap that they deal with, the good times and the bad times. And they just, people just don't, aren't able to put into perspective how amazing and spectacular and unique their journeys are. And I think they discount it um, uh, and don't share it. And, um, uh, you know, I even did that. It was funny. My wife said to me, she goes, you know, um, you should kind of inc include your story in the book. And I'm like, ah, my story's not that interesting. She's like, yeah, everybody says that, even, even you. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> funny it's true I think sometimes we like minimize I don't know it's like I, I I it's interesting I'm reflecting on hearing you speak about this and putting this book together and interviewing all these people because we interview all these people and obviously not just about cancer but um having had a cancer story I think it actually was through connecting with other people that I was able to process and just even identify aspects of the emotional mm -hmm. lessons, the emotional experience that I, I didn't really anticipate being a part of my experience. Like, and mine was not, um, like high, I mean, it was cancer. So of course there's an element of high risk, but I, it was a tumor that was found, um, like pretty early stages and I had multiple surgeries for it, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I fortunately like didn't have to do chemo, didn't have to do radiation. So it wasn't, um, yeah, it was like at 29, it was very shocking to have that diagnosis, but it was right. not, you know, the intense, um, experience, even physical experience of having to do certain types of treatment often for cancers. Right. And so I think there's even like aspects of minimizing. Sometimes we minimize our own, you know, journey, but I was going to just share that even listening to you and speaking with you, I'm realizing it was through having a platform yep. in conversation with Erica, in conversation with other people mm -hmm. where I was able to observe emotional components to the story, to my own story that I didn't really take the time prior um, to really process, I think. Yeah. And I think especially with cancer, I talk about this in the intro in the book, because it's so kind of like voodoo-y, like it doesn't make sense. It does, you don't, obviously some of it is genetic, but a lot of it is not, right? It's just like, you know, you could smoke for 90 years and drink whiskey every day and be healthy. And you could be like the healthiest thing in the world. And then all of a sudden you got stage four colon cancer. Like what the, what the F, you know, but I think what I definitely learned um, for sure, Allie, is that you can't minimize this, your journey with cancer. What, I, I'm not saying that 
you shouldn't get over things that happen in your life because everybody should get over the things that happen in their life. But I think cancer, you get a special pass. Even the fear of getting one of the one of the book participants, she only has a fear. She had some tumors, but they were non-cancerous. Um, but she has this fear of cancer, and it actually the tumors caused her to have to stop practicing practicing medicine. And that was like the one thing she loved doing. I mean, she loves her family too, but I mean, her, she really lived to be an OBGYN and and to be a surgeon. And she had to stop that because it's some some benign brain tumors. But she constantly lives in the in fear of cancer. And I don't care if you had a, a stage zero, right? A, a stage four. One, one of the one of the um, a book participant, she's had cancer, five different cancers, five different times over a 35 year period. Wow. Her oncologist said, you've been at my practice longer than I've been at my practice. And she's like, by cancer number three, I just walked into the a doctor and said, just cut out, just cut, cut, cut out whatever you need to cut out. Right. But because, and, and, and so she doesn't live in fear, right? She, but the reason that she doesn't live in fear was because she was she had to escape a four-year, ridiculously, insanely, unbelievably abusive relationship, mm. right? She escapes that and a couple of months later gets cancer number one, right? She's not afraid of anything. She's like, I'm going to go tackle it, whatever. Everybody's reaction is the way it should be. Everybody's journey is as intense as it should be. It's, I don't think you should minimize what people are going through. Um, certainly, you know, you don't want to make everything in your life about the one little thing that's happened to you, but God, you know, I, I just think like, if you can deal with these things and you connect with people on a level and you don't minimize your emotions or other people's emotions, yeah. um, cause you don't know what, what, it, what it was, you don't know what's causing those things. Right. You know, yeah. um, uh, if I can, I, I know I'm going on a little bit, but let me tell you another story about a, about one of the book book participants. Um, I'm interviewing him and I'm going deep and deep and deep and deep. And uh, really one of the things he wants to talk about is the fact that as he's getting wheeled into surgery, literally as he's getting wheeled into a surgery to remove a massive sarcoma in his stomach, his girlfriend looks at him and says, Joshua, this is not my life. I can't handle it. You're on your own. I'm out. Imagine that as he's being wheeled into surgery, because, you know, when they come in ahead of time, they're like, you know, you know what we're doing, right? You know what that can mean, right? You know, you could die on the table, right? And, blah, blah, blah. and all of a sudden she's going, this is not me. So I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper into his story. And he wants to kind of like slough off this fact that he was abandoned, right? And I knew there was more to the story and he doesn't mind me talking about this. He'd been very open about it, but he hadn't talked to anybody until he had talked to me about it. But he walked in when he was very, very young. He was just a little boy. He walked in on his mom killing herself and talk about abandonment, right? So his issues around abandonment, his not wanting to take help were so much deeper. So it really taught me that when I offer help to somebody and they go, no, nah, I got it. Maybe there's way more to the story than they got. Maybe there's, I shouldn't take it personal that they don't want my help. Maybe I should understand that maybe they're not being macho or they're not being tough. Maybe there's way more stuff going on in there. And um, if, if nothing else, this, this journey has taught me to connect with people like you guys, right? At a deeper level when you have the opportunity to, so you can understand what people went through 
so that you can form this more heart-centered connection with them because that's, you know, that's the beauty of life, right? We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. Whether you are a Patreon member in our nutrition community or a regular listener of the podcast, you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for months and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am now devoted to taking seed every morning before food and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten-free, and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. In addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet, which is pretty important. Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use Courageous15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes or the link tree on Instagram. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee. And even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout. And there's also a direct link in our show notes. That's so beautiful. It's, um, it's amazing because... I know we're talking about cancer, but I think especially in this last year with the pandemic and grief, and I have so many friends who have experienced tragic loss and it's, it's such a human experience. I feel like through these people that you were able to connect with, we can all learn something no matter if we're experiencing cancer or otherwise. Um, Yeah. Which is so incredible. Yeah. I'll tell you that, um, you know, the one mistake I've made with this whole book, the whole project is to make it about cancer. Cause it's really, yes, there, there's that thread, but there's also another thread. There are human stories, yeah. there are emotional stories, there are inspiring stories. They're stories about trauma. They're not just stories about cancer. Um, there are a lot of hopeful and, and I'll tell you, um, what you, what you just said is the amount of people that have gone through something tragic, 
Yeah. But you can't even you can't even imagine what people are going through, and because they're not going to open up to you, right? And it's it's kind of weird to ask, right? Oh, we hear something bad about somebody, and we're like, oh, I'm sorry, and then you run away and you don't talk to them for a while because you don't know what to say, right? And so it's it's it, it's a it's a crazy thing. I mean, it's a crazy concept to think about. It's trauma. I think it's trauma. It's not cancer, really. It's trauma, some kind of trauma that yeah. if we could just dial into that and just explain, you know, have people explain what's going on, talk to people, connect with them about their, about the emotional side of the trauma. I think that's, that's where the connection really begins. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I also think, you know, like I was thinking, how do we get people because we all have this human experience, right? And we're all like, I don't know one person who hasn't experienced trauma or grief in some way, but yet we all want to be perceived as if we haven't, or it feels that way, right? Because like you're saying, no one is vulnerable. No one is open. No one is sharing. And it's like, how do we encourage that? I know it takes so much courage. Like I believe like my answer to the question as somebody who does this is like, you just have to be courageous and do it. But Mm -hmm. that's so much easier said than done. (laughs) You know, I know like I even talk to friends who have been, I just had a conversation with one of my girlfriends about this. And, um, you know, she was, she was feeling so silly because she put herself out there vulnerably and it wasn't, you know, reciprocated. Right. She was like, so I feel so stupid. And it hit me. I was like, Oh, well, like, why do you feel stupid? Right. Because like, you shouldn't feel bad about being true to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't know, do you have any insight in how we can create like a more vulnerably open, culture and society. Well, you're right though. It does take courage, right? That's a whole part of your, that's a whole part of your message is the, is the courage. Um, you know, and, and I think there just becomes a time in your life when you're ready to admit that, you know, and connecting with people. And I wouldn't say showing weakness as much as showing what you just mentioned, vulnerability or openness is, is definitely a sign of strength, right? Mm -hmm. It's definitely a sign of strength. Now, that said, I think you have to have a point of safety. So if I if I said, uh, you know, hey, Allie, uh, tell me about what you went through. And then meanwhile, I'm, I'm playing on my phone or I have some ulterior motive or, uh, you know, um, I'm, I might take advantage of what you tell me. You're not safe to connect with me on a certain level. And I think um, when we think that people don't care, or we think that they're not listening to us or we think that they are not providing a safe space for us then we're not going to be open and we're not going to be vulnerable. And I think that that's the key is, is I was funny. My, my wife used to say she would walk by when I'm on these phone calls with people and she was like, Holy crap. The, the questions you're asking them. It's unbelievable. How can you ask them that question? And I go, cause I gave them a safe place to give me the answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think it starts there. I mean, it, sounds trite it sounds simple but i think it really does start there yeah that makes sense that makes total sense even like from just an interviewer point of view you want people don't open up that's something we've learned like people don't open up unless they feel (laughs) that safe space um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's just it's true but we don't need to always do it i think to your point it doesn't only apply when we're hosting a podcast or writing a book, it applies to any sort of meeting, interaction, interaction. Um, yeah. 
Do you, did you find too, I'm so interested, you know, Ali and I are both Buddhists. So we practice Buddhism and I don't know if I'm not going to speak for Ali, but Buddhism has given me like a very deep perspective on life and death. That doesn't mean it's not still hard, um, at grappling with the loss of loved ones. But I was wondering if there was like a spiritual component or connection that you noticed in the people you spoke with. Of, you know, or religious, I'm just so curious because, you know, death and yes. spirituality and death and religion is so, um, or illness too, can make people find there spirituality. Are, there were some stories, yes, that had a very spiritual and or, um, religious component to it. Um, I'm going to tell you one only cause I don't get the opportunity to talk about that part of this story with people, but if you give me, if you indulge me for like two minutes to tell you the story, this amazing story, because I usually uh, end up telling this story of, uh, I would say, um, uh, could you imagine getting a, having your husband lean into you and let you know that they got to wheel you in for what will likely be a 12 hour surgery to remove a grapefruit sized tumor in your brain and that you might die. And you, can you imagine that the response was that she smiled and she said, thank goodness. Now, that's the way I normally start the story because people are like, how in the hell did that happen? And I go through the story and I, and I, and I explain to them that this was a 25 year marriage, six kids, one, one, and one unfortunately at 18 months old died. They survived um, their marriage through that through uh, all kinds of ups and downs. They were very close, except for when she got into her early fifties, she started going crazy um, and becoming angry, becoming a different person. um, uh, uh, Just, just, just changed. She just changed. And they finally got to the point where in a moment of clarity, she realized that she was the one causing all the problems. And she asked him to commit her to a mental institution. Um, now, that's just tragic, right? How, how unbelievable. They had this beautiful life, successful kids, made it through this, this horrible event in their life, even had she had got pregnant when she was like in her 50s, gave birth to another beautiful girl. Everything's going wonderful. So she, she gets committed, self-committed to this mental institution. They do a battery test on her and they find out in like four hours after they admitted her that she's got a grapefruit-sized tumor in her brain. So they call up the husband and say, get down here. We've got the best surgeon. We've got the best whatever. And so when she found out that it wasn't her, it was the tumor. She was like, thank God. Right. So, mm-hmm. so how could somebody be happy with that type of a, of a setup? Well, now, you know, so let me give you the spiritual component of that. Um, so um, when she was in her uh, recovering from her surgery, her daughter, little daughter was seven years old and saw a little monarch butterfly on the outside the window and said, mommy, look, it's a butterfly. And she leaned over and she was like, oh my God, I dreamed about butterflies. So fast forward to, unfortunately, a couple of years later, she died. And as they're getting ready to go into her service, um, a butterfly comes down and lands on her sister's shoulder. And as she walks into the, um, um, to the church, the butterfly flies away and she's just like, why well, I know that was my sister. So they finish the service, they go home, they have a, a 
you know, a bunch of, they invite a bunch of people over and they're sitting around at the table, of, you know, there, there's tons of people there, but they're sitting around at the table, the three sisters, the mom and the husband and some of the kids and some friends coming in and out. And all of a sudden a monarch butterfly comes down and lands on the other sister's hand and doesn't leave for like two hours. I mean, two hours and, and just people come up and they leave and people are crying and they're laughing. And meanwhile, this, and you know, they know what that butterfly was, right? They know what that butterfly was. So it's a, it's a very moving, touching, beautiful, hopeful story. It's a very tragic one too. But um, how I found this, these people was a friend of mine said, Oh my God, I've got to introduce you to so-and-so and you got to have them tell you the butterfly story. Wow. And so anyway, I, I, sorry to ramble on again. I've done that with you too very much yeah. though, but, um, but uh, that's the type of, that's some of the stories that are in there. That's, that's such a great story. That's beautiful. No, thank you for sharing them. We, this is, you know, we love hearing these stories and I think our listeners will too. And um, yeah, I feel like there's so much we, that I'm curious of like, not only what you discovered through this book, but if, if you don't mind me taking it back to a little bit to your own story that we sort of touched on in the beginning, I'm curious. Cause you, you said you made some major changes in your own life and, um, that takes a lot of resilience and a lot of, um, a lot of work and maybe, you know, maybe you get to a point where you're ready. Like you said, you're ready to do that, but, um, like -hmm. people are ready to share, you know, we get to that point where it's, you know, you're there, but, um, I'm curious because, because we are health and wellness podcast too, and all that that encompasses, um, your own, sort of transformation in the way, like you didn't just start to like eat healthy and, you know, start to like work out. <laughs> I mean, you're an endurance athlete too, right. which we didn't really spend too much time on. Yeah. Yeah. But before we start to wrap up, I'd love to just touch on that part of your story. Um, yeah. How does someone go from not really being super yeah. into that and being, you know, a heavy smoker and ha- and then all of a sudden you're running, not only doing 5,000 mile bike rides, but like running for 24 hours. And like, how, how do you transition into going to that place? Uh, it's a great question. And I think like, um, again, I don't want to sound trite, but you only know what you know when you know it. Like, mm. I, I forgive people for not knowing what I think is something very simple for them to know. Because all this, all the time, I mean, you know, I, I'm old enough that I should already know everything I know, but I only know what I know until I know it. Right. And so sometimes when I figure something out, I'm just like, Oh, I just didn't know it before now. Right. So I think that for, for, for me, when I, I, I literally, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Allie, I literally stood in front of a mirror when I got out of that relationship and I got my kids to safety. And I just was, I, I had heard about my sisters and my sister called me about her cancer diagnosis. And I literally stood in front of the mirror and I said, you know, you've been living your whole freaking life for everybody else, which is, well, it's okay. You know, I, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better student. I want to be a better employee. I want to be a better boss. Like, I'm always like, oh, how is everybody going to perceive what I'm doing for them? And meanwhile, I'm like, 
why don't you start doing stuff for yourself? Like, even if that's being a better dad or doing charity or whatever, but instead of looking for how other people are going to perceive you, why don't you start worrying about how you perceive yourself? Mm -hmm. And it's, I didn't know that. That's a very simple thing. Maybe people live their whole lives with that kind of clarity and awareness about themselves. I didn't. And I just sat there and I looked in the mirror and I go, okay, so seriously, who do you want to be? Like, who, who do you want to be? And I go, well, you know what? I want to be a guy that doesn't smoke because that, that's not good. Right? I want to be a guy who, when I'm running on the beach, I don't have people looking at me going, what's that old guy doing running on the beach? He's too old to be doing that crap. Right? So I go, okay, well, I push myself in every other way. I have never pushed myself athletically. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to like say you could like run a marathon or something? I mean, I've run like a hundred miles multiple times now, but but I just said, what, why don't you start doing these things for yourself? And I just said, you, you can't swim and smoke. So you might as well start swimming because that'll help quit smoking. And you can't run and be fat. I mean, you can, but it's not fun. It's not healthy to run and be fat. So lose weight, right? Uh, that's why. So how do you lose weight? Start eating healthier. Uh, maybe I should remove the stresses in my life and sleep better. You know, I just, I just finally knew what I knew when I knew it. And I just said, okay, let's just take a progression. And I went from that point looking in that mirror in a, after my kid's fifth birthday in January. And by November, I was, I did my first Ironman. So wow. it was, it was on purpose. I did it. I did it really on purpose. Wow. Do you have any, um, sort of mental, I don't know if tricks is the right word, mental sort of tools mm -hmm. that you use, especially I'm fascinated by endurance because like, I'm not an endurance athlete. <laughs> and so like, I'm just, I'm always been fascinated by that. And, um, what I get, yeah, I guess once you know that you can do it. Once you've met that sort of goal that you set for yourself the first time, you can challenge yourself again. But, you know, what do you do on mile 15, 20, 25, whatever it is, 80, that's, that is, um, when things get tough in your mind and on your body, how do you talk to yourself? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I could give you like 10 different answers to that because right, there's all different kinds of lessons learned, but Here's what I tell people, and I this is the this is the analogy I used on myself. I use it in business, and I used it on my kids. I used it once I realized, like once you maybe you didn't face death when you had your cancer diagnosis, but you certainly um, had a little more taste of your mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? Okay, so I think once you kind of realize that, then you kind of go, okay, time. I, I maybe understand a little bit more about time. And then you realize, well, okay, at least in this lifetime, I don't have infinity. Okay, so I have a limited amount of time. So the analogy that I like to give people is this. As I say, um, whatever the biggest thing is to you, you could do it. No questions asked. And they go, well, what do you mean? And I go, uh, okay, you want to go run 100 miles in a month? You could do it. They're like, no way I could do it. And I go, oh, you could do it. And they go, really? How am I going to do it? This is the analogy I give them. As I say, okay, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to put a 50-story building up, and I'm going to put another 50-story building up, and across that 50-story building, I'm going to put a ladder, and I'm going to tell you to walk across from one side to the other, and you go, oh, hell no, I'm never doing that, and I go, okay, well, how about if I give you a million dollars? 
You go, no, I'm not doing that. And I go, okay, well, it's going to get really windy and dark soon. So I'll give you 5 million. No, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Uh, you'll never have to work another day the rest of your life. No, nope, it's still not worth it. Okay. I'm going to tie your best friend to the middle of the ladder and you got four minutes to go save him or her. And if you don't, they're going to fall over and die. Yeah, I can, I can cross over and get it. And I said, so that thing, that baby in the middle of the ladder, that your friend in the middle of the ladder, whatever, that's the most important thing. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm. Right. So it's a matter of saying, oh, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to wait till someday. Like, like right now, I got to go do it now. I got to go save that baby. I got to go save my friend I'm in the middle of the ladder now. Like I got to go do it. And I think that, that that's the piece of advice I give is to realize that tomorrow might not come. You might not have as many tomorrows as you hoped. And you know what? If you want to accomplish stuff, it, it, today is the day. Don't, don't wait. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. That's what <laughs> I was, I was just curious. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've shared with us today. This has been such a beautiful, wonderful conversation. And, um, as we begin to wrap up, we always conclude with three questions. And the first question is what are your self-care practices? What are some of your self-care non-negotiables? And even with a little twist for you, how did you maintain your self-care while taking in these, um, incredible, but definitely difficult stories? Yeah. Um, uh, self-care is just on purpose. I, I just say you do it on purpose. So what I do is I try to, um, purposely stay healthy. So I, I, I work out, I go for runs, right. I have three, four days a week, um, I go for bike rides, you know, a couple times a week. If I can, I work out, I stay healthy, eat healthy. Um, if I'm starting to gain weight, then I purposely go, okay, for the next 30 days, I'm going to do no sugar and no processed carbs or whatever. So my care is just whatever it is, it's kind of on purpose. I kind of just try to stay aware of what's important to me. I figure it's not proven, but I figure if I stay healthy and I care about myself, I might live longer and be healthier and enjoy my life along the way a little bit more. So I, then I say, well, then you got to do that on purpose. So whatever it is, I just try to take care of myself on purpose. Thank you. Um, the second question is, what does being courageous mean to you? You know, I think, I think it's something that you said earlier, Allie, which is, I, I think if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and allow yourself to um, uh, perhaps form deeper connections with somebody that cares about you, um, that I think that's, that's courageous. And, and I think you got a huge benefit out of it too, right? There's a lot of things you could be courageous about, but I, I think right now, especially, um, that's a big deal is, is being vulnerable, uh, forming a deeper connection and, um, having it be meaningful that, that, you know, like, like real feet in the ground, you know, meaningful connection. So that to me is, is, is being courageous. Thank you. Thank you for everything. The last question that we asked always ask is, do you have a book other than your own that has been particularly inspirational to you along your journey? And it can be on any topic, not just the one we're discussing today. Oh man. So I write all the time, right? I write all different kinds of books or whatever. I do. I just don't have a lot of time to read. I just don't. But one of the books, people are going to laugh at me when I say this. One of the books that I just love is a book by John Fowles called The Magus. 
M-A-G-U-S. And it's the only book where I actually, guys, I actually, when I first read it, I skipped work like two days in a row. So I could, you know, I called in sick so I could finish reading the book. And I was so angry at the ending that I literally threw the book across the room and I went, damn it. Why did you take time out? This book sucked. Right. And then I read it again and again and again. I'm just like, oh my God, this is the greatest book ever. And it just is a, a, a book about kind of getting away from reality and, and dealing with your, 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 your failures and your shortcomings as a person. And it's, it's a really interesting book, but it, 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 it lets me know that, um, that, that when it, when it comes to dealing with failure, especially self failure, the only way that you can overcome it is to take a really purposeful, deep look at yourself, you know? Cool. Thanks. I don't think we've <laughs> ever had that kind of response to, <laughs> to a book Sorry. recommendation. I told no, you it's great. Weird one. No, it's great. And now I'm like, Oh, I want to, I want to read it. Um, Okay. And then the last thing too, please share with us where anybody can find your book, follow sure. along with you on the internet, et cetera. Sure. Okay. Well, um, one thing, I guess, if, if anybody's interested, a hundred percent of the proceeds from the book are going to support the cancer focused charities that the book participants picked. Um, a couple of them aren't cancer focused, but they're still organizations that are taking care of other people and not doing it for profit. So um, that's number one. So I'm not looking to make any money off the book. 100% of what comes to me, whether sales are through Amazon or directly through my website or whatever, that goes off to those charities. So um, if you buy the book, it's doing some good. The bigger purpose, obviously, is to hopefully better equip people to start hard conversations. So um, if you're interested in that, you can uh, buy the book anywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever. Um, or you can buy it on my website. I'll send out uh, signed copies. It's cycleoflives.org. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Great. Thanks again so much for joining us today and sharing your story and the stories of your participants too. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you both for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.